Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on August the 14th, 2019. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, the bountiful and bootylicious. The caffeine rage? On today's episode, we will, of course, be discussing the games we have played. G2A wanted 100 devs to sign up for its key blocker. Only 19 did, so they extended the deadline. We've got a couple of pieces of Steam news once again. A niche developer offers a game to schools for free. We will briefly discuss game night, community game night, in Community Corner. And we will have a Steam Discovery queue. Timestamps be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rage. Hello. Yeah. So I, you have had your list for forever about uh, your your passwords for the show. I, yeah, only since what uh, episode twenty four, something like that. And no, I, I'm have, looking at no, I'm looking at my list. It's episode twenty four. <laughs> oh well, there you go. And I have had names for you that I basically just pull out of my ass before we start recording every night. But oh, I explains down, why they're so shit. But <laughs> touche. But I have sat down and I have created a list for every letter of the alphabet. X was very difficult, but I managed to get a couple of adjectives. So, that's what we're going to be doing until we run out of letters, and then I don't know what I'm going to do. But Mine's pretty much just random as uh, you know, I came up with names or, or words or found an interesting word or, or uh, occasionally a word of the day in my email. It's the zippity-doo-dah word of the day. Well, you just gave away Z, so well, <laughs> so I guess I'll hear that one in what uh, twenty two episodes now. Zippity is not the one for Z. X was really hard. Two adjectives that are generally positive. <laughs> well, but I'm glad they're genuine, uh, generally positive. So I didn't cheat though. I didn't use like excited. Or excitable, you know, and like focus on the X instead of the E. I the didn't do that. Extreme. Extreme. Caffeine rage. No. I so, didn't can you tell we're tired? <laughs> yeah, we're recording a day late. I had a massive fuck you storm blow through my area. We yeah, had... now fuck you in particular to what was your co worker? Yeah, one of my co workers. Lightning struck his house twice, fried. Almost every electrical thing in his house. All of his TVs, his gaming consoles, his PC, some things like a couple of tablets that were plugged in, fried a couple of his appliances. Like, almost everything was on a surge protector. Or surge Yeah, his flux capacitor, though, it it went back to last week. Yeah. So he was not having a good day today. I was like, dude, why did you even come to work? Like, if that had happened to me, I would have just stayed home and cried <laughs> all day. I, I hope he had insurance. He does, but it doesn't cover it. Oh. It's one of those things. It's like you have to hit a certain value of damage before the insurance kicks in. It's a deductible thing, but it's based on, like, the value of his home instead of just being, like, a flat rate. 
and the last evaluation of his home puts the rate higher than what the cost of the damages are. So he doesn't know so what why he's going to ha- do yet. So why even have the insurance at that rate? I don't know. That's a good question. I asked him that question. I also asked him why he continues to live here because this happened last year. It just didn't destroy as many things. What do you do to piss off Zeus? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. I'll ask Are you him sure he's tomorrow. not an ice giant and Thor's just trying to kill him? I don't think so. Although he is super chill. Ah. Well, not anymore. <laughs> no. No, he was very frazzled today. I gave him a hug. It was a very consensual went, hug. Yeah, you, you, I like that you have to, <laughs> to highlight that as consensual. No, you just waited until his back was turned in. <laughs> I got hugged by a really, really smelly person earlier this week. They were, I don't think they would ever listen to the show, but they know that I make the show, so I will be very extra double vague, but they were like, came in, and the air conditioner wasn't working in their car, and this person generally doesn't believe in using products like deodorant. One of those ultra hippie, vegan like times 10 sort of people like you know you can conjure up an image of of someone and it's probably within the ballpark so you know no tie-dye everything uh no tie-dye so okay maybe not that type of image but you know you think of the person who's always like yeah i do everything totally natural i don't put any chemicals in or on my body it's all natural and i don't eat meat and yeah it's all natural bo but they smoke. It's like what? But anyway, that's that's uh, another question. What yep. the fuck? Yep. So it was. It's been really hot here the last few days. It, but it maybe was they're hot. trying to counterbalance. You know, uh, you know, uh, they the, their uh, vices tar and then uh, and nicotine and you know all the various carcinogens and you know uh, they're afraid if they go over that amount and they figure you know whatever amount they smoke is you know right there at the limit so they can't risk uh, deodorant so they'll be yeah <laughs> no and it's been near or over 100 degrees with like an 80 to 90% humidity here every day yeah. for the last few days yeah i could just not imagine that because i went to the post office today and it was 80 some uh, percent humidity and it was right at 80 degrees when I uh, was coming back home and I was just soaked with sweat. I cannot imagine a hundred degrees in somebody that doesn't believe in things like deodorant. Yep. And the air conditioner is broken in their car and my office is hot. It always is hot, but just the AC in our entire building is having trouble keeping up. So my office was extra hot. Next time I go mass make bread, can I just put in your office? Sure. Put the dough in. Sure. Would smell nice. But then the end of the session, they gave me a hug on their way out the door, and I'm like, oh, God. Lysol. I sprayed my whole office down. Myself. My mouth. My eyes. The Lysol burned worse than the stench. Yes, but it smelled a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then, uh, yeah. So tonight could be really random. I went yeah, to bed I have, uh, early uh, last night. My power went out, which that's why we didn't, you know, like, 
you know, big storm. I live in an area where the power goes out frequently if the wind gusts too hard. Right. Power the power out. goes out if a smelly guy's outside. Indeed. So, I went to bed really early last night. Well, at least for me. I was in bed at, like, 10 o'clock. But I'm still pretty tired. I had a very full day today. Nothing too crazy, but, you know. Yeah, well, I had an early start to my day because I needed to go to the post office because I had a package in that I needed to collect. And I pretty much had to get it today because, well, tomorrow it's going to be hot, hotter. Friday, I have my food inning, so, you know, go to and go uh, get food. Well, I don't have to go Friday, but, you know, I prefer to go to Fridays. Right. So, uh, and what I had coming in the mail, I needed to get uh, refrigerated pretty quickly, which hopefully it's all right. I haven't had a chance to try it out yet. But, you know, pretty much had to go to today, and uh, and if I wanted to beat the heat, I had to go pretty much as soon as the post office opened up, which, for some reason, my post office opens up later than most post offices, because fuck you, that's why. So, like I said, it was like 80-some percent humidity, and it was already creeping over 80 degrees by the time I got back. So, yeah, it, it was not a pleasant day. <laughs> I was tired as hell when I got back. So I, I have a, a tumbler that has half a pot of coffee in it. Woo! I've just got tea to soothe my weary, tired throat. And some water. And so far, my uh, tumblers uh, kept my coffee nice and piping hot. Well, that's what they're supposed to do. One of those nice double wall insulated... Uh, tumblers. Uh, vacuum formed, uh, lidded. Uh, I don't have the straw in it, so, you know, there is that. Mm. No straw. It's no bueno. Maybe I should have gotten the, you know, the little uh, bamboo umbrella for it. Ooh, that would be nice. <laughs> I wonder if, I don't know what the longest time it is from start of show to first discussion, but this one might be giving it a run for its money. No, I'm pretty sure that we've had uh, a lot longer. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, it's 163 just, episodes, so you know. I just, I just roll over on that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, particularly be a- whenever you know uh, you've uh, uh, had an odd week. I'm sure it's gone a lot longer. Yeah, po- quite possibly. This is going to be either a real good one or a real bad one. We're about to find out. Just because uh, we're all... What, my game I played, or... Uh, no, the because we're all out of sorts. Yeah. I blame Mother Nature. It's such a shame that, you know, the climate change is a Chinese hoax, because that would be a good thing to blame. <laughs> oh. All right. Let's 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 talk about the games we played this week. How about that? All right. How do well, we want to do this? One. Do you just want to uh, go and get yours out of the way, or... Uh, how do you feel about doing all yours in one chunk? I don't think I mind. Okay, so, uh, I only had one game I played, but I played a fair amount of it, so, you know, I have some, uh, I have some thoughts. Okay. I mean, that's hardly unusual, but uh, let's go with it. So, I played 911 Operator. It was on sale last week, and, you know, I went ahead and I bought a, uh, 
picked up the complete edition. So it had Special Forces, Every Life Matters. Uh, wait, is that racist because Every Life Matters? I uh, am Search and Rescue and the Free. Uh, uh, that's actually a thing. Uh, there's uh, I know. Uh, some sort. Yeah. I'm familiar. Uh, and the first response, uh, free DLC. So I got the entire package. And was it Ghost that played this before and talked about it? Uh, I think so. Pretty sure it was so, Ghost. So 911 Operator is a real-time with Paul's uh, strategy management game where you are not only a 911 Operator, but for some reason you control... Uh, all the funding in your area for uh, all the emergency services, uh, uh, EMS, uh, fire department, and p- uh, police. You uh, set up uh, uh, the police units. You uh, equip them with the funding uh, that uh, that you've uh, gotten through uh, your performance in the previous days. Uh, you uh, set up uh, their initial places, and for police, they just you know patrol around and uh, you know. Uh, look for crime and uh, police and or sorry fire and EMS a set at station and uh, in the hospital and wait for shit to go down. And it has a custom uh, city generator where it takes a a city that's not part of the main campaign and allows you to play on it. So I've been playing uh, Charleston, West Virginia, which is you know, the closest major and I'm using major massive sarcasm quotes uh, city to me. Which presents its own unique challenge, which I'll get to in a little bit. But there's also a main campaign where you go between a bunch of major cities and have scripted events throughout uh, the various evenings. So you start, I can't remember where you start, but you end up in Miami uh, and dealing with this guy that's uh, that's causing a lot of disturbance because he's upset because there's a music festival that's keeping him awake. So he's calling him fake bomb threats and that sort of thing and causing a lot of disruption. Uh, the storyline, you know, it's basically just like little mini episodes as far as I can tell. I didn't get too far into it because I got kind of caught up in the free play mode playing my local city and building up essentially my local uh, emergency services. But there's also various events that could happen, like music festivals, like I said, earthquakes can happen. Um, on my free play, I've had three major catastrophes, which uh, within the span of like two weeks. So, you know, I had a fire a factory catch fire, then explode, which caused this major firestorm across the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, then a blizzard hit. Then an earthquake, and I have mass protest uh, going on the next day I play. So you know, pretty much the standard, right? Yep, sounds about right. But each one uh, has their own uh, essentially theme. So, like I said, the fireworks uh, plant explosion creates just just massive firestorm pretty much everywhere. You know, it doesn't really pay attention to the epicenter. It's just yeah, you know, okay, you're on fire, you're on fire, everybody's on fire. Uh, mass protests, it puts a lot more strain on the police force, uh, music festival, it, you have to tie up a certain amount of your resources at the music festival, otherwise shit goes down there while dealing with everything else that's going on in the city. 
the Blizzard, I think, is the worst one I've encountered because it fundamentally breaks the game. So, uh, what I mean by this is that whenever a unit is at a scene of an incident, be it, you know, a kidnapping, uh, um, you know, just a, uh, a fender bender, you know, a house fire, what it does is it takes the units and does a multiplier based on their equipment. So, like, if, uh, you know, you send a, pl- uh, a fire brigade that has a bunch of tools that are really good for fighting fires, they get essentially a multiplier for uh, any fire that is there. Then EMS gets uh, a multiplier for injured and that sort of thing. Well, in the blizzard, there's a chance that whenever you're not on a major highway, your unit will get stuck and will have to dig themselves out, which is a technical skill. So you, so fire department gets a bonus to that. And then everyone else is able to do it, but it's slower. Well, because of how the game handles incidents, if a unit is responding to, let's say, a heart attack, all right, and you have EMS en route, and it's in a rural area, so, which is part of the reason why I kind of like playing Charleston, is that it has a lot of rural highways on top of, or a lot of rural route, I should say. Uh, on top of the cityscape because of just the landscape of the area. And it, and Charleston also is a very elongated city because it's, uh, goes along a river in a river valley. So, you know, you get some odd uh, roadways otherwise that you otherwise wouldn't see. But because of how the EMS would stop and start to dig itself out whenever it got stuck in a blizzard, it would then forget that it was responding to an incident because it got caught up in another incident. So I ended up losing a bit of reputation and funding, which in free play, it doesn't matter that much. You can go into the negative as far as I can tell, but it just makes it harder the next day until you essentially bounce back. But in, uh, yeah, in the scripted events, if you go below zero reputation, you're fired, you know, mm-hmm. but it it broke the system where an EMS unit would stop and dig themselves out and then forget they were responding to a call, which was a touch irritating. And also, during the scripted story, if you responded to an incident, let's say, let's pick something almost at random that, you know, real life uh, police and fire and uh, EMS would respond to. How about a fake bomb threat? Well... In real life, any bomb threat is uh, treated with a certain degree of of uh, seriousness and is reacted to, right? Yeah. In this, you actually lost reputation if you responded to the fake bomb threat, which makes no sense to me. Huh. To be fair, this was the story mode, so yeah, I think they were trying to go for a certain narrative. But yeah, it just... There were some times that it just didn't make a lot of sense. Like, uh, there was one time that I would get a call from a kid playing uh, with a phone, a uh, hang up call back. Uh, yeah, still, yeah, no response and, you know, nothing, uh, yeah, not really sure what's going on. Real life, you know, uh, the police would be sh- uh, sent out to, you know, check it out, right? I think that's fair, right? Yeah. I lost reputation because of that. 
uh, there's a certain disconnect on the gameness of it that I really disagreed with. And also, sometimes it felt like it required a lot more manpower than it really made sense to have. Uh, a good example of this was uh, uh, during the firestorm. It basically tied up two of my fire units because I didn't realize it was going to be a major event. You know, just uh, they were talking about this fire factory you know, going up in flames. Well, I sent two of my fire units there. Well, then every place else starts catching fire. And, you know, I'm kind of screwed because I only had three fire units. And I didn't have enough money to send in reinforce or to essentially hire reinforcements. And I basically had to try to just keep things going until, you know, the neighboring city uh, took pity on me and sent <laughs> reinforcements. It was just a certain disconnect, you know? Yeah. Over well, at least they the, came to help. You know, yeah, eventually. Yeah, uh, the city was half burnt down, but still. But overall, I mean, it's not a bad game. Uh, the, I believe it was Ghost. He talked a lot about the repetition. And uh, yes, there is a lot of repetition that comes up very quickly. I mean, I understand that certain types of calls are going to happen every night. All right. You know, your fender benders, uh, you know, uh, fires, that sort of thing. Uh, and a lot of them are treated as unvoiced calls. You know, they just appear like incidents on the map and you send units out to deal with it. But then you have the actual voiced calls and there is some variance in them, but it's in the choices that happen. Like sometimes you get a call about uh, an accident and sometimes there's injury, sometimes there's not. And that's the variance, but it's the same voice actor. So, you know, it starts to, you know, bleed together, but the game is saved by the random, like, many scenarios that happen because of, you know, uh, the protests are going on in town. Uh, make sure your police are uh, uh, geared up and ready to go. Or, you know, there's a blizzard going in and all your units are going to be uh, moving a lot slower and uh, police bikes and uh, fire bikes you know, motorcycles are not going to be as effective because of, you know, you know, trying to drive a motorcycle in a snowstorm is going to be a bad idea, right? Yeah. You know, that's what really saves it to me. And there is Steam Workshop support for this, so there is a fair amount of custom content that people have made, but, you know, it's not as good from what I could tell. I mean, it's not terrible, but it's not great. But overall, I did like the game. It's definitely worth checking out if you like real-time strategy or uh, are, are a fan of uh, emergency services. Uh, the game does not give a lot of info on what particular things does, though. So, like, uh, outfitting your uh, guys with uh, toolkits, it doesn't tell you exactly what's going on. So you have to try to figure out based on, you know, just the feedback while they're using them. And I would have liked to seen some sort of uh, the ability to set up custom uh, unit uh, icons. Like, for example, let's say I set up an ambulance that has uh, essentially all the trauma gear on it. I'd have liked to seen the ability to, like, highlight it 
on my units and not have to try to keep track of, okay, it's this particular unit on my unit uh, tab. But just be able to see on the map to get a better idea of where it is at all times. But yeah, you know, that's it feels almost like minor quibbles at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, overall, it's you know it's not a bad game. It's definitely worth checking out, especially if you can get it on sale. And the custom city uh, aspect, or I should say, the uh, the local city is a better uh, way to talk about it because it's still real life cities. But it's not a custom city. Like Charleston, whenever I got it, it, it's not the entire city because of just how they handle the uh, cropping of the map. It's like two thirds of it because of just the odd shape of the, the city's in. Right. And there's also sometimes that, yeah, the game will just screw you over. Like you get a call for. Uh, a stolen car that's heading out of the city and there's no units around it, but yeah, that's just luck of the draw. So yeah, I don't really, I'm not upset about that, but yeah, it does get annoying to lose reputation for no good reason. Especially whenever there's times that, you know, it feels like you're losing reputation on things that you shouldn't. But I did like some of the calls that Especially during the scenario events, you know, the major events. Uh, like, a good example of, once again, would be the fireworks factory, because that seemed to have a lot more fleshed out special calls. It may just been, you know, I got luck of the draw there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a special call that came in that was a woman that was trapped in a burning building with uh, a couple children. Uh, and the stairs down, uh, uh, going downstairs w- wasn't an option because of fire in the stairwell. But there was a fire escape in the other room. Well, I actually played this twice. Uh, I uh, essentially all F4 to just try to see what the other options did. So if you told her to, yeah, uh, go to the other room and keep down, uh, which is pretty much common sense. Uh, she's able to escape to the other room. But then if you tell her to open up the window, it creates a backdraft and causes the entire room to explode and kills them. However, if you tell her to close the door behind her to block off the airflow, you know, she's able to escape uh, unharmed, or uh, I should say with minor sanching. So uh, there's a teaching tool here that I really liked and that felt fairly realistic as soon as, uh, as, yeah, as long as you keep it in the context of the calls themselves. But it's just that repetition on the general calls. It felt like they should have put forth uh, even just you know, a couple more voice actors even re- reading the same script because it's always like this one woman that's lost her either husband, dog, or child depending on the luck, uh, luck of the draw. Uh, there, it's always this one guy that's gotten into an accident, <laughs> it, but there may or may, may not be injuries. That's what I feel. What really drives home the repetition, and there is an option to mute those where it's just buttering, so you can get through the calls quickly. But that feels like a band aid patch to something that they should have just yeah hired another voice actor or two. So, any questions? I don't think so. I mean, I'm interested in this game. I have been for a while. 
and I, I'm sure at some point I'll pick it up. Yeah, I would say it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, I did get the complete pack just because the entire thing was on sale and it was like five bucks or so. Uh, I'm trying to think of exactly how much I paid. I think it was like five or six bucks for the complete edition. And the different DLCs, uh, the different DLCs, they add different things that some of them feels like they should have been in the base game. So, uh, uh, special resources, it adds, uh, a, uh, eight, eight different, uh, emergency vehicles with, uh, more equipment types. Uh, every life matters. Adds a few more special events and the ability to bring in reinforcements, uh, uh, from off map and also two more cities to the career mode. And the big one, I would say, if you had to only get one of the DLCs plus the freebie, would be search and rescue. So, uh, it adds a new call type where it's, uh, like the woman that lost her dog, husband, child. And that's three separate calls. It's not the same, yeah, thing that's, uh, that's lost every single time. Or occasionally there's like an Alzheimer's patient, patient that's gotten, uh, you know, wandered off. They'll have a central point on the map, and then, depending on the size of the area uh, to search, there'll be quadrants that will appear that you could either direct a unit to to search manually, or, depending on the equipment that the cops have, they could just stay at the central point and essentially do like a systematic search instead of a manual search. And depending on the size of the search area, it may be more worthwhile to manually search each one because it may only be eight spots or nine spots. Or you may get a 30 square block and trying to manually search those, especially if you're out in the rural areas where a cop car has to go all the way around the damn mountain to get to the next quadrant. So, you know, it's maybe best just to stick in the middle and just wait it out. So I would say Search and Rescue is probably the best one of the DLCs, but even then it's a little bit, uh, yeah, maybe it should have been base game. Uh, that's the one that's the most changed though. The others are either just, you know, content or more calls, but yeah, I don't feel bad about getting the complete edition. I think it's definitely you know, worthwhile getting it. Sweet. I guess I'll make sure that I get the complete edition. Next time it's, or at some point when it's on sale. Next time on Rescue 911. <laughs> so, does that do it for you then? Uh, yeah, I think it did it for me. All right, uh, you me... didn't seem to have any questions. I don't know if that came through. I just like, put, yep. you know, did that thing and cracked all my fingers. Like, all right, here we go. So I've got four games this week. We haven't done games we played since I was on uh vacation so i've got a couple that carry over from there and then a couple of other ones so i'm gonna start with forza horizon 4 the fortune island dlc uh it wasn't on sale or anything i just went you know what i want to buy this so well technically it was on sale because you have the game pass true i think i got what 10 percent off because i have game pass or something like that but i just went you know what i want to buy this so I did. Uh, there is 
so her, Fortune Island was the first DLC with the Lego World or whatever being the second one. So a couple uh, of the things, yeah, expansion. So the a couple of the things that I thought were added in the Lego DLC were actually in the Fortune Island, or not a couple. I guess the main thing being that sort of cross country thing where it's like a point to point PR event. Um, that actually was added in Fortune Island, but there yeah, are... Yeah, that sometimes pops up in the uh, multiplayer, you know, just, uh, you have this point, get there. Yeah. Um, but, let's see, the the big main thing that it adds that isn't just sort of more of cool Forza Horizon stuff are the treasure hunts. There are ten of them, uh, and they're fun little things that work kind of like barn finds with an extra thing you have to do in the beginning, like a puzzle you have to solve. And most of the puzzles are, are at least I felt like they were relatively easy. Um, I know a lot of cars and like some of the references are like, okay, it's definitely this car. Cause there's one that's like for the, the Willis Jeep. And it's like something, something, something with a Jeep named Willis. And it's like, ah, I know what car I need to take to do this. But there will be a specific challenge, usually completing like a PR stunt with a specific car or uh, completing a race, like a specific race with a specific car. And, you know, it's all kind of put down in a riddle. A couple of them were a little bit harder. Uh, They didn't quite seem to make sense or they were a little like too vague. And it's like, well, I guess this could be anything. But most of them are... I found relatively easy to figure out. And you can always look up a guide online if you're like, I don't know what this is or how to do it or get it. Um, But so you complete the puzzle or solve the riddle, complete the puzzle, whatever. And then you're given a photo that shows where the treasure is and then a barn find sort of radius that the treasure is within that radius. And so you kind of match up the photo, uh, to the you know the the landscape and you're like okay so the treasure is you know roughly over there based on where i'm sitting and then you just you go get it and each treasure has got a million credits and then you get something else out of all of them uh there's a couple of them that have like outfits there's a or or special clothing options there are a couple that give you cars there are a couple that give you uh the uh emotes and uh some other stuff uh, a couple of random things there's like you get like a viking outfit for the last one which i need to actually use cuz it's pretty cool um but they're they're fun i did all of those with my kid except for the first one which it like dumps on you like immediately and is super easy to solve like you're actually in the car that you need to solve or need to use to solve it um cuz you like come onto the island and it's like, hey, let's drive around and check out the island and have all this cool stuff. And it's like in the middle of a lightning storm and you drive around, but then it dumps you out like at the Horizon Festival on the island in the truck, and it you're sitting in front of the the PR event that you need to complete in order to get the treasure chest. And then the treasure chest is like three feet away behind some boxes, so. I got the first one like immediately and then I was like, oh, my kid would like these. So then we did all of the other ones together. And I tried to like talk him through how to solve the puzzles. Um, a couple of them he got. Most of them he could not figure out. But uh, he's five, so I'll cut him some slack. 
In general, Yeah, but though, when he turns six, you know, he needs to get his shit together. Yeah, that's right. Get your act together, kid. You listen to this in the future? Damn it. Um, but uh, it's this map is about half the size of the uh, Great Britain map. Um, and it's just generally more of the same. There's new... Or there's more PR events of every type. There's a new drift uh, career or campaign, whatever, to do. I actually haven't done that yet. Uh, that's the last thing I have on the island. There's a whole set of new races. Um, I think it added some new cars. I'm not 100% sure because the Lego cars are the only ones that are really separated. That and one of the, the packs that you have to buy with money, I think, are completely separated. Um from the main game, but, uh, it's got a couple of new, like, big race events, it doesn't have any of the, what are the challenges, where you, like, race a plane and a train, it doesn't have any of those, which kind of made me sad. Showcase? Yeah, showcase, although the, the hovercraft during the opening, where you're, like, touring the island for the first time, is, like, driving around, and you kind of, kind of, sort of race it. But not really? Yeah, but not really. Um, that whole thing is pretty scripted, but I mean, that's fine. It was, it still looks really cool. Um, there's a, a couple of like major different environments. There's a lot more stuff on the beach to go do, um, or to go explore like in the beach area compared to the Great Britain. And then there's like a big swampy marshy area, uh, and a pretty cool hill climb, but otherwise it's just, you know, more sort of UK ish environment. But, I mean, I like Forza, and I like <clears throat> all of the content there, so having more of that same great content feels and you like pretty good to me. I do. I do like islands. Um, Especially when there's a thousand of them. Indeed. And then I put it on my dressing. Or, on my dressing. On my salad. <laughs> I put... Ah, fuck. I fucked it up. Oh, well. Um, but, yeah, that's really all there is to say about... Yeah, I mean, that's really the, all there is to it. Um, just more of the same Forza. So if you liked it, that's great. You'll like this. If you didn't, then you probably shouldn't buy this expansion. Um, next on my list is Star Realms. Star Realms is a physical deck-building card game that has a digital version. Uh, I discovered this game many years ago uh, on a WTF is. Um, I was going to say, this looks familiar for some reason. I guess that's it. Yeah. Uh, and I got the digital edition, and then I also own the standard, or the the real card game as well. But um, you can get it for free, and you get access to the first sort of campaign, which serves as a tutorial. And then you can play uh, standard games against the AI. Or you can buy the air quotes, full, full game for five bucks, which has the original single-player campaign, access to the asynchronous multiplayer, and then, like, a challenge mode. Um, and then there have been a ton of expansion packs over the years. Because when I, when I initially bought this, it was, like I said, several years ago, and it was just the standard game. And I went back to it. You know, I hadn't played it in a long time. But I went back to it, and there's all this extra stuff that I'm going to eventually buy and get into, I think, if I keep playing it. Um, the basic idea, I mean, it's a deck builder, so in case you've never 
played a, a deck builder game before, you're uh, playing against one opponent. You each start with the same hand, which is like seven cards that are worth money and two cards that do damage. And there is a, a set of cards laying out on the table, which you buy to build your deck as you play. And the ultimate goal is to reduce your opponent's health to zero while making sure your own health is not reduced to zero. Um, the game has got four factions or four types of cards that all build on each other. So every card does something. And then there's a little symbol at the bottom of the card that matches one of the factions. And if you play two cards, two, two or more cards of the same faction, then you'll trigger that card's secondary effect. And different factions are themed around different things. So the Empire, or the Imperials, their thing is uh, decks are themed around hand control. So almost all of their cards, their bonus is you draw cards or your opponent discards or both. The Trade Federation is based around healing yourself. So most of their secondary effects just give you health back um, or additional money. The uh, droid, or not droid, the machine cult, their faction is based around deck control. That would be control. Apple, right? Yes. Yes, Apple is based around deck control. So most of their cards either allow you to uh, take a card for free from the the trade row or scrap cards from your hand, which effectively destroys them. Um, so you can keep your deck lean or... Uh, be able to get cards for free maybe early on. They've also got a couple of cards that allow them to mimic other cards, uh, so you can sort of work them those cards into a deck more easily. And then the Blob, which are like these alien guys, alien faction, um, their whole thing is based around drawing like just massive damage. So they get the biggest damage boosts and then draw... A lot of them let you draw cards and then play them immediately. So there are some cards that do multiple things or some cards that don't quite line up with generally what the faction's thing is. But in general, that's how all of the, the cards work. And if you're just playing against another person in multiplayer mode or if you're just playing against the AI in standard skirmish, you start with 50 health and both both players start with the same cards and you just go and you know, you try and defeat the other person. If you're playing in the campaign mode, uh, there is a fully developed story, at least for the first campaign, where that you are the son of a uh, small, or small, the son of a king in a small sort of, I don't know, region of space, and you go on a campaign where you expand your territory and then eventually fight this strange alien menace. Uh, that is coming to destroy your home planet. And the all of the story parts have got a voice actor or a narrator who reads them to you. And most of the games use special rules. And it could be health is different, your starting hand is different, certain cards might give you bonuses or give your opponent bonuses. So it encourages you to play the hand in a different way um, or approach the game in a different way than perhaps you would under standard rules. And then... Um, there are sort of rankings you can get for every mission or stars you can get, however you want to look at it, for doing specific things. And typically that's, you know, uh, win in X number of turns 
or don't use any of this type of card or only use this faction's cards or something like that. Um, they're not required. You don't have to get them to unlock anything. It's just more like personal achievement and satisfaction. And then I don't know what any of the expansions are. I know that they add cards from the various expansions that you can buy for the actual, you know, the physical card game, which I have one of the expansions. So I'm familiar with those cards when I get to it. But there are uh, leader cards and like special like faction hero type cards that I have no idea what they do. And it's got uh, several additional campaigns. But the free game, if you're just looking for something to play on your phone, because I've played it uh, on Android. I have it on Android. Got it from the Google Play Store. But you can get it on Steam or you can get it on uh, iOS devices. Um, the free version would be would be fine if you're just looking for you know a, something that you can play that doesn't require internet access or anything like that you just want to play kind of the skirmish mode um, games take roughly about five minutes five to ten minutes against the ai um because you know obviously a lot of the stuff is streamlined because it does all of, like the damage counting and um you can just hit play all cards and it tells you you know this is how much you heal this is how much money you have and stuff like that so a lot of what makes the game take 30-ish minutes to play the actual card game brings it down to 5 to 10 minutes. So, you know, you, you can play it pretty quickly. Um, but if you're looking for a, I guess, a sci-fi story experience, a, a pretty decent one that you can play either on your phone or maybe on a, a laptop that is not so great. I mean, you could, you know, obviously you can play it on anything, but... You know, if you, if you if you want a gaming experience on a platform that's not specifically an ideal gaming platform, this is a solid game uh, that has got a lot to it, at least for the, air quotes, base game or full game or whatever, the one that costs you like five bucks. I Again, I can't speak to how worth any of the DLC is, but the base game is a blast and I thoroughly enjoy it. I'm still playing it, you know, started playing it on my trip. And I am still playing it a little bit along. Um, that brings me to my next game. Now, this is the other game that I started playing on my trip a lot. And I've talked about this one on the show before. It's been a couple of years probably since I talked about it. So uh, I figure I'll talk about it a little bit, not quite go super in-depth on it. Uh, Sword of the Stars. And I've got the complete collection on Steam, which has... Uh, all of the expansion the shield uh, the mace of the stars yeah yeah it's the it's morning the, star of the stars the sword and board of the stars is is what the complete collection should really be titled um but anyways this is a uh, sci-fi strategy game um i think it's some people list it as a 4x it's not really a 4x game uh there's an overall strategy map and then there are uh, battles, um, real-time battles. There's not a lot of, you know, politics or anything. It's got to explore and expand uh, and exterminate. I don't really know if there's much exploiting going on, but it's got at least three of the four axes. This game originally released, I believe, in 2006. It says the release date is 2008, but I'm pretty positive I had a disc version of this game and in 05 or 06 that was the base game and then they started releasing expansions for it which i believe came out until like 2010 or 2011 um 
but this is a game that, uh, for one, for it being older, plays really well on modern hardware. I don't have any issues running it on my laptop or my uh, desktop, and that's one of the main reasons I enjoy playing it on trips like that on my laptop, because it'll run at a solid 60, no problems. Um, doesn't even really heat up my my sad laptop. Um, it's a pretty good-looking game. It, it relies, or it, it utilizes the sort of angular sci-fi styling approach uh, to make its ships still look, uh, hold up pretty well. And it doesn't really go in too much on the details. I mean, you can zoom in on the tactical map and you can see, like, okay, this is kind of falling apart a little bit. Um, but it still looks pretty good, despite the fact that it's 12, 13 years old, somewhere in that realm. Um, but this game has got a couple of really unique features that I enjoy. It has got a slightly randomized tech tree. Um, there are certain techs that everybody gets every game. Uh, but the various races, there's six races, they each have uh, certain sort of percentage pulls that they can get certain tech. So the humans are pretty well-rounded. They've got a roughly even chance to get just about any tech uh, on the research tree. But the alien races lean more towards one style of play or another. So there's one alien race that leans much more towards ballistic weapons. So on that, you know, on the research tree, they will get a lot more ballistic weapons options. There's one that leans more towards uh, defensive tactics and shields. So they get like energy shielding and they're more likely to get energy shielding, cloaking, less likely to get the more advanced weapon tech in the game, things like that. Um, There are certain techs that everybody kind of has a chance to get, but that you might not. So your play style from game to game can change pretty dramatically based on what tech you get access to. Um, But there's still a guaranteed level of basic tech. You're always going to get... Uh, the various levels of star drives. You're always going to get the ability to colonize worlds and things like that. So it's never going to be completely game breaking, but you might not get a tech that you typically rely on. And then you might be forced to like, you know, think outside the box, try something a little different. Um, The game has got a huge, huge backstory and sort of lexicon that you can go to for lore. There is a, uh, apparently a lot of this stuff came in rather large like booklets in all of the uh, expansion content. Uh, there is an old wiki that still is up for this game that has all of that content. So there is a detailed history of each of the six alien races, like from technology to physiology to psychology. Very fascinating stuff that has gone into this game. Uh, and it's fun to just go read it even if you're not interested in playing Uh, the actual gameplay itself fairly straightforward um the game is divided into two sections a strategic map where that uh it's turn-based so um you complete whatever actions that you can on on your turn from a management standpoint you set up research you uh control fleets to navigate them to different star systems based on uh each race's unique sort of star drive or whatever it is. Um, If you need to colonize worlds, build ships, or um, orbital platforms, things like that, manage any trade routes that you have, all of that sort of overworld map stuff. And then whenever combat takes place, either because you're assaulting another race's colony or you run into a random event or encounter, um, maybe uh, there's an asteroid... um, 
like a, a massive asteroid or a meteor shower coming towards one of your worlds and you need to destroy them like you know that might trigger combat uh which which takes place on a tactical map and you do a real-time uh rts style combat the map is all of your ships will operate in a 3d space but you control them on a 2d plane so the way that works is that ships can go along the vertical axis um if they are going to run into each other or into an asteroid or if they sort of maybe circle an enemy ship, some of your guys will move up and some of them will move down in order to avoid or the others reduce. will just ram it. Sometimes actually that's a valid, valid tactic. Ramming is a valid tactic, especially if you're kind of fucked, you can take your fuel tanker ships or anything that contains really explosive materials and just ram other ships with them. Cause they do massive splash damage. Valid tactic. Kamikaze. It works. Bonsai? Bonsai. Um, but, you know, they will move up or down uh, relative to the plane in order to try and avoid either contact with ships or short shooting each other, that sort of thing. So, operates on a 2D plane, but it's a 3D physical space. Um, tactical battles. Anything can be time-limited. You can limit the strategic map turns anywhere from... I think it's one minute to 10 minutes. And then you can do the same thing for the tactical battles or you can just set them to unlimited. Um, and I mean, if you're playing against the AI, there's no reason to set a strategic turn limit to anything unless you're trying to challenge yourself for some reason. Um, but you know, that's the sort of thing that could be beneficial against other players, um, in a multiplayer setting, which the game does have multiplayer. Um, it's got asynchronous multiplayer, and then, you know, you can play it in real time. Um, it's also got uh, a drop-in, drop-out method where the AI will take over for you if you leave. And then you can take your slot back uh, if you come back and the game's still going later. Uh, game length varies wildly depending on how you set it up. Um, if you create a very small galaxy map with maybe like just a couple of dozen systems to fight over your game might be over in a few hours, especially if you're aggressive. If you set it to the some of the largest settings, which is like 350 uh, systems with the maximum distance possible between each of the stars and things like that, uh, you could be looking at a 12 to 20 hour gameplay time. The more uh, players you add, the longer it takes, even with the AI, especially once the map opens up and you're like, oh God, you know, they have how many worlds? So, uh, game length really varies. But you, and wait, you can, is that Gandhi? <laughs> you can get a quick one in. Uh, you can do some accelerated game start stuff as well. You can start with, like, uh, large amounts of money and techs. Uh, you can do that for all players involved. So you could challenge yourself, maybe give the, the opponent a ton of starting tech and you don't start with anything. You know, stuff like that. Um... The best feature about the game is how unique each faction is. Like, the slightly randomized tech tree is pretty fun. Honestly, like, I enjoy that, you know, especially on the upper end tech. Uh, kind of not knowing what you're going to get. But the each of the, the factions are very unique, both in ship design and the way that they play. Mostly it has to do with what type of FTL drive that they have. Um, because that kind of dictates how you approach uh, the map in general and then also it might reflect some decisions you have to make in tactical gameplay for example the humans have got uh what's called a node drive 
and it uh, looks or utilizes gravitational fractures in space between star systems. I mean, it's all you know sci-fi bullshit, but essentially they 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 have the fastest uh, faster than light travel, but they have to follow specific lines between star systems. So you might not be able to go directly from point A to point B because there's no uh, gravity fracture between those two star systems. Whereas the Hiver, which is a race of uh, alien insectoid creatures, their faster than light travel is teleportation. You have to set up teleportation gates, but in order to do that, you have to, to slow slowly march across space using slower-than-light travel and deploy a teleportation gate, but then you can move ships instantly between any two teleportation gates. Up to a certain but let point. let me guess, uh, the teleportation gates can get destroyed. They can get destroyed. So, for the Hiver, you might not... Most races don't have a reason to protect a world or a system that they haven't colonized, but the Hiver... Your teleportation gate network, if it gets destroyed, then you're fucked. So you might have to defend a useless, you know, chunk of rock because it, you know, it, it's a key it's position. It's your beachhead. Yeah, it, exactly. Um, there's some some other aspects, too. There's one race that's called the Liar, or Lear, uh, and they don't have a slower-than-light drive. They have, like, mini teleportations that their ships do. And you will always want to try and engage enemies as far away from gravity wells as possible because that messes with their propulsion system. So if you're in deep space, you get a speed and maneuverability advantage. So you want to try and intercept fleets in deep space rather than fighting around planets. There's there's some other things, too. But, it, like, the races all play extremely differently. And it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I mean, I've been playing this game off and on for about a decade now. I guess longer. 12 years now. So, I still keep coming back to it. I'm still enjoying it. I'm still playing it right now. Or not right now, this moment, but... I was about to say, wait a minute. <laughs> but I've been playing it a lot at work. It's an excellent laptop game. Um, because I can just leave it setting in the strategic uh, map if I'm, you know need to get up and go do something i don't have to worry about it and it doesn't overheat my laptop or anything so i'm not worried about it (laughs) catching on fire or melting to my desk so excellent game love it uh would that make your desktop if it fuses with your desk do what would it make your laptop a desktop if it fuses with the desk possibly quite possibly i hadn't considered that but now that you mention it that makes sense uh, the last game on my list is She Sees Red. Uh, this showed up on my Discovery Queue a few weeks ago, I believe. Um, I mean, it definitely showed up on my Discovery Queue, but fairly recently. Uh, but what She Sees Red is, is a uh, choose-your-own-adventure style game interactive thing. movie thing. Um, it's really interesting. So, it's a lot like playing... It, it plays very much like a Telltale style game. Um, Only without the bankruptcy? Only without the bankruptcy, and you don't specifically, like, slowly wander around looking for which thing to put into which other thing to solve a puzzle. Um, 
there are two sort of parts to it. Uh, you are following, let's see, the the lady in the uh, image. Uh, the one that's seen red, or yeah, sure. Uh, she's wearing the brown jacket with the ponytail. Like you're following her, and she is sort of interacting with the decisions that you make as the other character, which is just like this guy wearing a hoodie. Um, oh, and it's, that's red. Yes. And it's sort of swapping back and forth. And so you'll see sort of what the consequences were for the decision that you made with the other character through her eyes. And then it'll go back and you'll, you know, be the other character and you'll get to make a decision. It does some fun stuff. Um, it's very cinematic when you're watching the, the, the lady. And I don't know any names. I've played through it twice to, to get some different outcomes. But there's like... I think three separate endings and then a bunch of like separate scenes in the middle. Um, to, you, you can just get small different sort of differences in your outcome. Um, but um, anyways, I, I haven't learned their names and I'll, I'll talk about why that is in a minute. Uh, and the one thing that frustrates me about it, but uh, with her, it's like you're watching a TV show or a movie or something like it's purely cinematic. But when you're doing this sort of choose-your-own-adventure part with the hoodie guy, you get these really interesting camera angles that are very clearly like, we have played Telltale Games or, you know, The Last of Us. And it's got that sort of, I don't, I don't quite know how to explain it, but you know whenever you're going to make a choice and the camera gives you, you know, a strange view of something in like five seconds to make your decision and the camera's like at a weird angle or people are like looking off into the distance and things like that. It's like you get that. It's very gamey. And then whenever there is movement or motion, um, you know, whenever it's a longer scene where you have to make multiple decisions throughout, it will take a very third person camera approach. So it's like you make a decision and then you kind of follow along in this third person camera or uh, kind of like in the cover camera of... Uh, a cover shooter, like if he's like maybe slinking on the walls or something, you'll get a camera that's very reminiscent of, you know, I'm in third person being trying to be sneaky or something like that, and I'm crouched up against cover. It's very interesting the way that they meld sort of the two elements together, and it's very, very well done. The production value is extremely high. The voice work is excellent. The quality is very good. Um, I was very impressed. Uh, and there are, uh, the two endings that I've gotten are drastically different. So your choices definitely matter. Um, and there's a couple of choices where you can be like, okay, this choice definitely is one that matters. Some of them, it's harder to tell if they make a difference or not. Um, I'm not really going to talk about any of that because I don't want to spoil the story. I actually thought it was quite interesting. Uh, and I liked where it went. Um, you know, it takes about 30 minutes to do a playthrough, 30, 35 minutes. The game is very adult, I will say that. Uh, there are breasts exposed a couple of times. They are not for our pleasure. They are done in an artistic fashion, but there are breasts exposed, if that's something that you have uh, well, uh So you don't about. appreciate art? Well, I appreciate the art, but it's not titillating, I guess, is the what, what I mean. Well, I thought you said they were titillating, or they were tits. <laughs> There were tits, but they were not titillating. But anyways, then there, there's also some blood and guts <coughs> of violence, uh, and it it shows that. Um, you know, I almost said 
I, yeah, it's special effects. Special effects have come a long way. I think think some of the stuff in Game of Thrones that is maybe a, a little more tame. Like we're not talking about someone who's like fully in view of camera, who's completely like skinned, you know, been skinned alive. <clears throat> it's not that bad, but they're not afraid to show blood um, and violence and then nudity. So if any of those things bother you, um, or if you thought, huh, this would be interesting to show to my kids, probably don't show it to your kids. Anyways, the the uh, the one thing that I don't like, though, this uh, thing is Russian, which is fine. That's not what I don't like. But they did not redo uh, any of the uh, scenes or anything for their translations. So their mouth is moving in in speaking Russian, and then you hear English. So the old kung fu movies. Yes, that was very distracting. Like, the voice acting quality is really good. And they picked voices, English voices, that match, <clears throat> excuse me, the look of the characters on screen. But it's just like their mouth is moving and the words don't match up. And that really bugged me. You can do subtitles, but by default, there are not subtitles enabled. I didn't realize it was Russian. So I started playing it. And I was like, is was that this lagging? <laughs> yeah, I was like, is this lagging or glitching? And then I was like, no, they're they're probably speaking another language. And then I went and looked and it, it's Russian. So also there's Cyrillic uh, in a couple of the scenes to confirm that. But it's fun. I really like it. I'm very impressed. So if they keep making these sorts of things, I will definitely keep wanting them. I mean, I got a review code for this, so I didn't have to buy it. But um, I think it's worth the 8 bucks that it costs if you just want to go buy it. I understand, like, if you're like, oh, that seems like it's steep. Totally get it. But the production value is super high. I was very entertained. The story was interesting and intriguing, and based on the fact that the decisions that you make can have a major impact on where the story goes, uh, it's worth it. I think it's Which, worth considering, it. Considering, uh, you know, a lot of times the choose-your-own-adventure interactive novel, whatever you want to call this, often it's just, you know, very limited difference in the storylines, but this sounds like it was really different. Yeah, there were, like I said, there's three endings, and the two endings that I got were completely different. I think that most of that hinged around one choice that I made, but I'm still missing over half of the scenes, so I don't, I don't know. When I go through and, and try and get towards the third ending, I'll see how many of those additional scenes that I unlock, but... It felt like every choice that I made mattered at least somewhat. Uh, okay, so the first choice that you make in the game, I'll, I'll talk about this. There's a, a guard that you run into as you're sneaking in, and you kill him. Um, like, he, you know, he captures you, he brings you to a back room, but then you kill him. Like, that's not the choice. The choice is, what do you do with the body? And you can just sort of leave it, which causes a certain reaction from uh, the guy who owns the club that you're at. Uh, and the 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 lady who is like an investigator lady causes one reaction from them that leads to a complete set of scenes that you don't get 
if you choose to make it look like it was a suicide. So immediately you get two pretty major branching paths um, that come back together a little bit later for a specific scene that is essentially sort of which way do you tackle this problem? You know, are you, are you like more sneaky or do you do something that's not quite so sneaky? Which both of those can lead to different paths. I'm not sure how much those actually change the ending. There's another pretty major scene that I think is one of the big ones that determines what ending that you get. But, I mean, you can get some very, very different stuff based on which choice that you make. So, I know that's all really vague, but I can't really say much more without starting to spoil the story. But it was good. I liked it. So yeah, She Sees Red. Two thumbs up. And that's all the games I've played in the last few weeks. Yeah, and we're... Hey, we're right at the usual time for this. Woo! <laughs> um, how you doing? You said you might need a break. Are you I think I'm point? okay for now. I've uh, not been sipping my coffee as much as I thought I would. Okie dokie. Um, Do you need to go? No, I'm good. I just was checking on you. Moving on to our first news topic of the night, G2A wanted 100 devs to sign up for its key blocker. Only 19 did, so the deadline has been extended. I need to do some tab management and drink some tea, so I will let you start this one. Yeah, this goes back, what, about a month and a half now, two months, where G2A was basically in damage control trying to say, no, no, we're really good guys, right? (laughs) Yeah. And this is for the key tool that they were talking about essentially trying to whitewash their service and honestly there's about 18 more uh, devs on here than i was expecting i was sure at least one would show uh, would sign up but 19 that's actually a lot more than i was expecting (laughs) so this really just comes down to them trying to pass the buck and saying oh no we don't have enough uh we'll, we'll give you a little bit longer this, uh, this feels almost like, like extortion, extortion to me, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, sure, we could clean up our site, but there's not enough, uh, not enough interest in it. It just feels like such a scumbag move. Well, I mean, it is G2A, so, you know, not exactly a surprise there, but that they could do something about their site, but they don't want to because uh, we don't think it's going to be popular enough. I mean, let's be honest here. They are not wanting to build this tool because it'll hurt their bottom line. Assuming people actually trust G2A to use it. That's the kind of the flip side of it. And I think that's a lot of reason why we haven't seen a lot of people saying, oh yeah, well, uh, like to use a, a tool like this because I mean, G2A has been weaseling out of the whole, what was it? Five times, ten times uh, reimbursement on any losses due to uh, chargebacks. Yeah. Either They've not been... responding or saying, oh, well, you can't prove that. Yeah, and the Factorio devs have taken them to court. And was there someone else that did? Uh, Subnautica was actually in the process, but they're saying uh, that, that was actually just breaking as we started recording that Subnautica. Uh, devs are uh, 
or the G2A saying Subnautica can have been losses due to them because we didn't even exist back then. But they also launched that uh, year. I mean, it's just a lot of fuzzy stuff. I, honestly, I don't trust uh, G2A as far as I can throw them for good reason, of course. Yeah, neither do I. So they've got the list of the devs that signed up. I recognize a couple of these. But yeah, a lot a- of them are pretty small time. Yeah, so there's Beer Money Games, Bossa Studios, CCP Games, Crimson Leaf LLC, Deep Silver. Yeah, Deep Silver, I recognize. Yeah, me too. Dirty Beast Games, Dynart, Electro Cosmos, Ferrum Studio, Foxbite Games. I recognize their name. Couldn't tell you what they make, but I've heard it before. Yeah, a lot Hound of these are like you know one or two games out, and you know very small. So yeah. I definitely see why they're going after you know. Uh, oh well, we would like to have that sort of tool. Hound picked games, Metal Bear, Modoko Studios Entertainment, Moonlight Mouse, Nyar. That's that's their name, all caps. Sima Games, or that perhaps Sima, S-I-M-A Games, Squid Punch Studios, Tate Multimedia, and Troglobite Games. Yeah, which yeah, I'm just uh, randomly grabbing a couple of these. Uh, Metal Bear actually is Game Dev Tycoon. Okay, which I didn't recognize at first. Uh, uh, let's see. Let's grab another one. Beer Money Games, Demolition Derby 3E2, Minigolf 3D. These all look like mobile games? Question mark? Not. (laughs) Google Play, Amazon. Yeah, a lot of these are pretty, you know, like one-offs or uh, just uh, very small studios, which I understand them wanting to jump onto this because, you know, Oh, shit. Oh, somebody's vibrator just went off. Yeah, that's my Star Wars RPG alarm, which I forgot to turn off. Oops. I Carry put on. on my Darth Vader mask and grab my lightsaber. But, you know, the Roll squid to punch. intimidate. <laughs> <laughs> With advantage. Let's see. It's a two-person uh, dev team uh making some sort of board game tactics game from the looks of it. But yeah, I, d- I definitely see why a lot of these smaller studios are jumping on this. Partly, I think, just to try to, you know, get a little bit of uh, uh, protection. But this just feels so uh, much like extortion. Yeah. And I think that's why it just uh, runs me the wrong way. That they could do this, but they don't want to. And the the yeah, there's good reason for it. Yeah, and also it requires a level of trust that I think a lot of devs just don't have in G two A because what they have to submit keys to be able to uh, compare against the log, and what's the odds of G two A just taking the keys and running? Uh, probably or, pretty high. Or having some sort of leak. I realize you know, uh, yeah, tinfoil hat and all that, but. You know, G2A hasn't exactly been playing above board. So, 
I don't think that's outside of the realm of possibility. Yeah, the only, unless there's just one that I don't realize how large they are, the only big developer on this is CCP Games, which, among uh, other Silver. things, makes EVE Online. Isn't Deep Silver fairly decent sized? Um, I'm pulling them up right now. I mean, Metro Exodus, right? Yeah, I guess they did. Yeah, they had, they've done a few things, right? Yeah. Okay. They've made a lot more than I thought that they had. Um, they've got a lot of games I'm not familiar with, and then they have the Metro series. It's probably their... And the Saints Row series. But, yeah. Oh, they did Saints Row? I didn't realize Deep Silver did Saints Row. Okay. Never mind. They're Okay, they're big. They and CCP are, I guess, the two big developers. I mean, Deep Silver is the publisher and also part developer of the Saints Row series. So, yeah, you know, slightly big, right? Yeah. Um, I doubt that they're going to get their 100 signatures. Seriously doubt that. I don't, uh, I don't know what you think. The question is, what are they going to do if or most likely when they don't get a hundred signatures like I, I, <laughs> is this going to be a recurring thing that they uh, just keep pushing the uh, the date back further and further <laughs> that would be funny we have 21 signatures it's only taken us 10 years to do it I wouldn't find it uh, su- uh, I guess uh, too surprising seeing that it's a lot of small developers uh, latching on to a Eventually, if they keep pushing back the deadline more and more, but not, yeah, a month or less than a month. Just because of, you know, all the animosity against uh, G2A for good reason. I want to highlight that. Yeah, there is a good reason that people don't trust them. That and the whole snarky attitude that they've uh, taken over the years with the Oh, yeah, no, we're totally, no, yeah, a, a completely legitimate company. Whenever it's been shown over and over again that, you know, they're scumbags. Yeah. I mean, like you said, just nobody trusts them. Definitely. And this requires a level of trust far beyond what they've been able to get. Or what they deserve. Yeah. Um, I'm looking... Just other stuff in this to see what else there is to to bring up. But when I was managing my tabs and drinking my tea, I think you you summed it up very well. Like there's there's no trust for these guys. Uh, we've got no faith that they're gonna do anything that isn't scummy. And when they don't get the hundred signatures, the the only question is like, yeah, what's do they hilarious? Gracefully is... back out, or do they sort of pitch a fit about it? Uh well, let's see. This is G2A, so I imagine uh, the whiny uh, th- uh, shit fit. But what's hilarious is at the end of the article for the uh, game, uh, gamesindustry.biz, meanwhile, a petition started by no- or Robots founder Mike Rose around the same time calling for G2A to stop selling indie games entirely has received more than sixteen uh, or 6,200 signatures. <laughs> nice. Which G2A kind of shot themselves in the foot saying, well, you shouldn't worry about it because 
indie games are such a small portion of our uh, overall sales. It's mostly uh, AAAs. Well, then stop selling indies. I mean, I definitely understand that. I, I think there should be some sort of, uh, of uh, essentially flea market, you know, swapping back and forth spare keys. But the problem is that you run into so many just, you know, uh, bad eggs, for lack of a better term. You know, people that's bought a bunch of keys with stolen credit cards that it's just not worth it. Yeah, there was a site that I used to use that was was that. It was key swapping. And the site, it's like you couldn't like, you couldn't buy this currency. The site had like a coins thing. And you use that as sort of a medium of exchange to trade your keys and there were people that were willing to trade physical games as well but like you had to handle shipping and all of that like on your own but it was just a way to you know swap keys from like bundles and things and the site eventually cratered i don't know what happened i don't know if there was just some issue or if it just stopped being supported i mean it was not like a streamlined really nice site it was like hey guys i built this site over the weekend to help everybody trade keys yeah, I read about this. Uh, I read about Squarespace uh, off a of YouTuber, and I made a site real quick. <laughs> yeah, it really felt like that, but it, it worked. I used it for probably a year. I mean, there is uh, a subreddit for game swaps. Uh, of course, there is, right? I mean, there's a subreddit for everything. Yeah, uh, that is pretty heavily policed for this sort of thing, and that's probably the safest place to do it. But it's also it requires a third party to uh, get involved. And I've just never, you know, felt comfortable with it. Mostly because, you know, I never really had anything worth the trouble. That's the other thing. So whenever I get a spare key, I usually just, you know, Hey, Jared, uh, do you like uh, this game? <laughs> yeah. I've done that a couple of times in return, but typically you have more spare keys than I do, so... You know, typically whenever I get a Humble Bundle, there's like two or three games in it already. That's, you know, uh, assuming that it's not, you know, one of the uh, fully combined keys where it's one key per tier. Yeah, for a while, uh, Humble Bundle uh, was doing direct activations on Steam. But uh, supposedly the reason why Steam stopped doing that was that the guy that made the system left the company and nobody knew how how it ran. (laughs) Uh, that's complete hearsay. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but it's funny. <laughs> that sounds about right, though, for how something would go. Especially with Valve. Yeah, so... Yeah, I could believe that. <laughs> Regardless of whether or not it's true, uh, headcanon. That's what happened. And, and now I'm thinking of the XKCD comic of, he- uh, comic of headcanon. Yeah. Or do you know that one? Yeah. No, I know that one. Of course you do, right? <laughs> Indeed. Um, I don't know if I have anything else to add to this topic further. Uh, it's more I'm- just, uh, you know, kind of a general update on, hey, they got a lot less uh, than they uh, wanted, but more than what we thought. Yeah. More than I expected. I figured they'd get a couple. But 19. That just seems excessive. 
Well, a lot of them are like just one-off studios or, you know, mobile uh, devs. So maybe we should have set the bar a little bit higher, you know, like 33. 42. Uh, no, no, no. Now it's 47. You have to adjust for inflation. Oh, I see. My apologies. Although, you know, with the economy crashing, you know, it may go back down to 42. I don't want to talk about that. I don't, I don't want to feel any more existential <laughs> dread than I already do on a daily basis. What, you don't want to talk about the Statue of Liberty? <laughs> Again? <laughs> no, nah, we already covered that tonight. Off mic. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, let's go talk about a couple of other good things? news items. So we have a couple Steam news uh, news items that we're bundling together, creating our own bundle, the yep. Steamy bundle. Steamy. The so, first one is yeah. some Steam Workshop submissions now require moderator approval. Yeah, and this is uh, first party stuff. Uh, Team Fortress Two, Dota Two, and CS:GO, all of which have had issues with their Workshop items. Uh, essentially being some scam items involved, uh, usually some sort of link involved to steal passwords for, Ste- uh, for Steam accounts or uh, for some sort of pyramid scheme like CSGO will have a item uh, or item in sarcasm quotes uh, to vote on that says uh, like, yeah, get free keys to open up your loot crates by going to this link or yeah, something like that or guides on how to get uh, a bunch of stuff, and yeah, this is mostly Valve trying to finally clean up the workshop, at least on some of their own stuff. So now, items that are added to those workshops require approval of a moderator before going live. And I honestly, don't really see a downside of this outside of that it slows down the workshops. But all three of those workshops. They're not what you generally think of when it comes to workshops for Steam games. Typically, you know, Steam games have two types of workshops. They have where you subscribe for essentially a mod, like RimWorld, uh, uh, Truck Simulator, that sort of thing, where you subscribe to something and it's a piece of content, you download and you play it. These workshops, they're essentially a community voting tool where especially Team Fortress 2 is the one I'm most familiar with obviously where it's a skin that gets uploaded or maybe a map that people vote on hey I want to see this in game and once they get popular enough may get added to the game as a part of an update and I'm pretty sure that's how it's handled in Dota 2 and CSGO as well that they're treated as community tools. Uh, CSGO may have uh, a mixture of the two where it's community stuff and uh, the uh, mod, uh, modding with uh, different maps. So maybe the one that gets the, the slowdown. Actually, I'm heading over there to double check now. So I, I fail to see a downside here. Outside of, oh, uh, things get a little slower on updates. Yeah, I agree. Um, I might think of a few other games where this wouldn't be a bad idea. 
Okay, it looks like, yeah, it looks like it may be a combination of the two where, um, um, yeah, it looks like uh, they have both where it's uh, cosmetic items, but also actual maps. So, yeah, uh, CSGO is kind of like the in-between of the two. But it's also, uh, if Valve starts cracking down on copyright infringement, especially for things like Tabletop Sim, that'll be very interesting to see how things go. Because I think that would pretty much kill Tabletop Simulator. Probably. I mean, the, you know, the custom, or the, the user-created games, which involve a lot of stuff that is not included in the DLC the expansion or whatever that's got the officially supported board games for for it but like that stuff is what makes it you know the game turn you know we've got a couple of dozen that we've all played together and then i've got several dozen more downloaded um mm-hmm. that i might play or we might play as a community i don't like play with my family or something like that like that's what makes that game turn and quite a few other games pc games rely on mods and in this you know context the workshop to really keep them going if they crack down on that stuff then that might be an issue they i mean they would be within their their right their prerogative to do so but man that would be detrimental to a few games yeah but at the same time you know we were seeing just rampant uh scam stuff on some uh, you know, game workshops. So, you know, right now we're at an in-between point, uh, you know, that balancing point. Mm-hmm. And I think it may be an option for some devs to want to have some sort of moderatorship. So maybe this could be an option. But that also requires a bigger commitment that I think a lot of, than a lot of devs and publishers really want to give because, you know, Team Fortress 2 is what, 10 years old now? And they're still moderating it? Uh, to, I mean, to be fair, you know, that does have microtransactions in it. So even though they're uh, in less than fully active development of it, you know, it still brings in money. So it warrants being uh, moderated. But at the same time, you know, we see game devs cut games loose all the time. So uh, if this is not handled by a third party, uh, you know, maybe make it where, hey, maybe the uh, the cut for Valve goes up a percentage point <laughs> and they handle the moderation. Uh, then, you know, this is uh, going to make it so that after a certain point when the devs... Uh, you know, give up on a game or, you know, even the studio shuts down because, you know, that's another thing is that there's games out there that are still somewhat active with the player base that the game devs are gone. The studio is gone. One I can think of off the top of my head is actually Nomoria, which is a base builder. Uh, think of it sort of like uh, a little bit closer to Dwarf Fortress than RimWorld is. Because it has the different uh, Z levels, it you know, essentially stacks on top of one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, it got fully released, but it was never in a completely 
a complete state. It never completely filled out its roadmap from its early access days. And people are actually going in and remastering the game as a community project. Oh, wow. That's some uh, serious commitment. Yeah. Uh, but that also, uh, you know, that genre, there's not a lot of good games there. There's a lot of shit, but there's not a lot of good games. And Nomoria, while flawed, is a fairly good game for what it is. It's just, you know, clunky. But, you know, that's the Dwarf Fortress aspect of it. Right. So, you know, if the if it had a workshop, which I don't think it actually does, and it had the moderation turned on, well, the game dev, uh, you know, gave up on it and moved on. Uh, it went on to do something else or, you know, gave up on game development. I'm not actually sure which. You know, that would completely kill the workshop. Or think of Bethesda, you know, th- when the next Elder Scrolls games comes out. You know, uh, will they kill the workshop for Skyrim because they don't want to moderate it anymore? Yeah. That would be, uh, something they would probably do. <laughs> Bethesda being shit? Nah. I mean, I, I definitely see the point of, uh, some people be possibly being upset with moderation, especially if it's handled poorly. And yeah. Uh, that's the problem with uh, game development is that, you know, sometimes things do happen unexpectedly. You know, we've had game studios just up and die without really any public warning. I mean, hell, even Telltale, they up and died. Uh, they imploded just due to a investor not uh, uh, pulling out of, uh, of a deal. Yeah, and a lot of times there is very little to no sign that that sort of thing is going to happen. I mean, Telltale, you know, there was some indication that they were experiencing some troubles, but no indication that they were just going to close up shop like that. So. Yeah, and uh, we've had game developers just leave their games completely unplayable just because servers go down. So, yeah, it's, I definitely see where people could be a little bit cautious with this. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm definitely playing, I get, it's devil's advocate, even the proper term here of, uh, seeing the downside of it, of, uh, this sort of moderation. I'm not sure. I mean, playing devil's advocate essentially means that you take an opposing viewpoint of to what your I, own yeah, just which, to explore which it. I guess I would uh, be playing devil's advocate here where you know, I'm feeling out what possibly the negatives of uh, Valve taking a more active role in the workshop has been because or I should say allowing that option if they open it up to non-Valve games and I think that would be the big one is that, you know, it could possibly do it to where a game developer may want to nudge the player base into a new game. You know, like, oh, the next Call of Duty's out. Let's stop allowing updates to the workshop. Assuming, you know, a Call of Duty would actually allow mods, of course. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can mod them, but they don't allow them or encourage them. Oh, they'll ban your ass. Uh, you make it so that the field of view is uh, non-nauseating? How dare you? And the other one, uh, the other uh, 
big Steam news, our big piece of Steamy news, is the Steam Store now allows you to mark games you played on other platforms. And you're thinking, well, why would I care about this? Well, how about all those Twitch games that you may have through Twitch Prom? Or, you know, maybe you have uh, the Xbox uh, Game Pass. Well, you want to mark those so you don't buy the games on there. And Steam will start saying, okay, you have this in your library. You have this, 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 and this on other places. What about this? And it factors it into your recommendations. So it's actually a, a kind of a, a neat little thing that they're doing that just allows you to not only mark games that you already have, but also factor them into your recommendation engine. And I don't really see the downside here. I don't either, especially with them relying so much on algorithms to try and present games to you and, you know, recommend stuff to you. Being able to say, you know, I don't want to see this game on Steam anymore, but it's because I played it instead of I'm not interested would help yeah. more accurately. Yeah, especially with the, like the article says, with the Steam Lab, where they have the advanced uh, recommendation engine. Have it factor in a bunch more games, especially if you have a lot more of an even spread in your library than we do. Yeah. I mean, be able to go through, like, my Twitch uh, Prime and mark off the, I guess, what would it be, like, 30-some, 40-some games in there now? Probably. I don't I don't know, but it's a decent chunk. I mean, we've been tri- Twitch Prime members for about a year. Yeah. I think. Yeah, you had it, what, like two or three months before me? Yeah, but I've missed a couple of months going to claim the rewards because they're not automatic. Yeah, and now I've been bashing you on the head. Hey, your rewards are up. Which I appreciate greatly. Thank you very much. So, yeah, having that factor into the algorithms and allowing you to not only just skip the games that you've already bought and, you know, not knock down the chance of double dipping because it would really start to yeah you know, buy a game and realize oh wait I had that over <coughs> here and make it so that ignore is a lot more intuitive of okay it's not because I hate the Call of Duty series it's because I got it in a humble bundle or this particular flavor of it and I have a Okay, a DRM co- uh, free copy is not going to happen, but you know, I have it all like on Xbox. Or I got uh, uh, ukulele uh, through Twitch Prime. Or I have uh, the latest uh, Gears of War through Xbox Game Pass. So I'm not interested in it on Steam, but I have it still factor in uh, as my global. Uh, library is a neat idea. I really approve of that. I do too. See, this is a feature, Valve, that makes sense. And is nice. Do more of those. Well, I think this is also a factory into the uh, advanced recommendation engine where uh, you're able to tweak it a little bit more, but it's also it gets essentially more knobs and bits of information to be able to factor off of more of those dials to turn. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, what's kind of funny is, uh, as Valve is doing this, uh, there was a article talking about how Borderlands 3 won't have a preload because the Epic Game Store doesn't have that option. 
Oh. Boy, talk about the two opposite ends of the spectrum, huh? Yeah. The Epic Game Store doesn't have a common feature? Such scandal. Well, they're still trying to work out the shopping cart, you know? <laughs> yeah. Trying to figure out how to collect the shopping carts, push them around, make them accessible to others. And also how to get the quarter out of them because they uh, they went and got the Aldi ones and stole those. Hmm. Have to chain them all up. And then you take the quarters out. Ah. You think they'd have figured that out already? Because then they could keep all the quarters. Yeah, well. They've, uh. They've done some questionable things. I, I think that's fair to say. I feel like that might be a, a bit of an understatement. I'm being charitable. That's pretty rare for you. You must be. Yeah, because usually I call them uh, fucking nitwits. Yeah, that's, that sounds more like it. Moving on, I think, to our last news topic. Um, a niche developer offers game to schools for free. No, it's not so a you... niche developer. It's niche developer. Niche developer. The game is called Niche. niche. Is it really? Yes. Oh. I was going to say, you <laughs> said you were familiar with this game earlier. I am not. Um, you know, I read the article, but I'm... Not familiar with the it's game. It's a game about evolution. Scandalous. That'll never sell here in, in the in the South. Why do you think they're giving it away? Touche. <laughs> Touche. You were ready for that one. Yeah, the game is called Niche, a genetic survival game. It actually has a very funny trailer on it <laughs> because it uh, does. Uh, well, one of them is live action fake uh, professor. Holy shit, I have this. I was about to say, wait a minute, you have this. I must have got a review key somewhere. I don't remember getting this. Well, yeah. I guess I'll be playing this for next week. Yeah, it's a... I played it while it was still in early access, so I haven't played it recently. But essentially, it's a turn-based strategy game based around evolution and, well, filling in a niche in the environment. Hence the name. I, if I remember correctly, the tutorial was a bit unhelpful, but it was also yo know, still in early access at the time. Unhelpful is the best kind. No, the best kind is uh, uh, completely absent. No, I will play this for next week. I didn't realize I had it. But you can see why uh, the comment on the article is slightly unfortunate title. <laughs> That that's niche, yeah. Niche develop, yeah. A niche developer, niche yeah, developer. But uh, yeah, I, I, I guess mean, I just misread that at the beginning or something, and my brain just skipped over it. Or you didn't it says think developer wait, Stray Font Studios. Yeah, yeah which you know, uh, having uh, another game out there in the wild uh, for if you pardon the turn of phrase. Uh, for or free for educators. Yep, yeah, it's hard to uh, say anything bad about it. If I remember correctly, it sucks. Yeah, you know, or you know, warps the concept because if I remember correctly, uh, one of the big things that 
Spore was panned for, which was another one of these, you know, uh, evolution games was that it, spores actually gives more of their argument for intelligent design at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. But if Spore I remember correctly, was fun, though, with like building like your creature to look like a giant dick or something like that. Spore was a neat 3D modeling program and it sucked as a game. The first three, was it three? Before you go to space. That part of the game was was all right, pretty pretty decent. But then you go to space. Not if you paid attention to any mess. of the uh, pre-release stuff uh, and realize that, boy, they really gutted this game. See, I didn't pay attention to any of the pre-release stuff. It came out in what two thousand nine? No, sooner than that, two thousand five, six. When did Spore release? Uh, two thousand eight. Okay, so I was closer the first time then. Yeah, uh, sport really neat concept, but they got it to make it cute because they had an entire underwater uh, uh life cycle that they gutted. They made it where uh, it was essentially just parts that you put on your creature that determine the stats instead of the actual build of the creature. But niche is more close to evolution where you're dealing with random mutations, if I recall correctly. And essentially breeding out to try to make yourself more uh, powerful through the random mutations, if I recall uh, properly. But it's been a while. I may have to uh, download it myself to try it out again since it's left early access quite a while ago, actually. I mean, it left early access. Well, I'm assuming that's the. Looks like it had a hot fix uh, last month. When did it release? News. Ba, ba, ba. Looks like it was 2017. When it came out of early access? Yeah. Got, uh, leaving early access uh, September 21st uh, uh, was the news article so so I probably played this in like late 2016 yeah it says I've played it for three hours that must have been um, a key key farming yeah see I at least uh, tried it I know, I know of the game <laughs> I didn't. I suppose I could have gotten it as part of a bundle or something as well, but I I bet I got a key for this. I've got a bunch of games I have keys for that I haven't gotten to play yet. I mean, it's basically a strategy with uh, randomized units. It's interesting. So, uh, teaching about uh, random mutations and how sometimes they aren't as helpful. Yo, science! Like a good time. Check out them random mutations. Uh, speaking of random mutations, uh, time to head over to the community corner. Indeed. Uh, not sure forward. where I'm going with that, but sure. Right. Yeah. So we did not have any emails that I saw. Did we have any tweets? Uh, no, we did not. We haven't had tweets in quite a while, actually. Uh, well, we do have, did have community game night. 
this past week we were supposed to play Defcon, but we yeah. were all very sleepy, so we just sat around talking and watching YouTube videos <laughs> and browsing subreddits involving cooking and yeah, after one failures cube of cooking and. Uh, it was cute that uh, I originally linked that horrible, horrible pancake video, right? Yeah, well, only that one guy was horrible. The The grandma and the chef were both good. Yeah, but it's completely turned me off from the channel. I don't want to watch anymore. Oh, I've watched several of them. Uh, every one that that guy is on, his stuff is terrible. Um, the granny has been on a couple of others, and she's always lovely. We watched... Uh, Myself, I mean, my whole family, we all sat down and watched one this evening. I was talking about it over dinner, and my kid was like, I want to watch YouTube videos, and and Katie was like, well, that looks, sounds interesting. I'd check it out. And we all enjoyed laughing at the guy making an ice cream sundae, air quotes, making an ice cream sundae. Let me guess. Uh, uh, First step, you get the keys to go down to the store. So he used store-bought ice cream, which is fine. I don't have a problem with that if you're actually going to make some kind of actual sundae. Because he's like the amateur guy. But what he did was he took store-bought ice cream, like dumped it out, and mixed in like brownies Uh. and M&Ms. And then he like worked it. Like you know how you see them do with like a cold stone, how they work the ice cream on that? He did that with it. Okay, he's banned from the kitchen. And then covered it in like a whole can of whipped cream. And then he put more brownies and chocolate sauce and M&M's in it. It was just a mess. In other words, he had a little bit of ice cream with his toppings. Yeah. Which also is fine if you want to do that, but it's like, that's not an ice cream sundae. You did not make an ice cream sundae. You made a, a sugary liquidy mess he made diabetes yeah and not even good diabetes i was like i'm dying just watching this my blood sugar is going sky high oh my blood pressure would be going sky high and then the other two the it was the same grandma from the pancake video and then they had a different chef and they both made uh well she made homemade ice cream and the chef made homemade gelato which i know gelato is ice cream but it's Got some different It's Italian. Yeah, it's Italian ice cream. Um, And he made something, like, really fancy. Like, it was too fancy for me. And then the grandma made, like, perfect, like, what you think of as, like, a homemade ice cream sundae. So, she's my favorite. That grandma's my favorite. I wish she was my grandmother. Yeah, but then she would support Trump. Oh, God. (laughs) I think she's, like, from California or maybe... Uh, the but speaking of ice cream videos, uh, there was one I saw today from one of the channels I follow. Cereal milk ice cream. Interesting. Go on. Essentially, it well, he used Fruit Loops, but he, uh, this guy is from Canada, and he really wanted Apple Jacks, but he can't get them in Canada, which makes me feel sad. Uh, essentially, what it is, it's a... Uh, ice cream that is infused with essentially in, uh, a steeped milk. Uh, think of it as, you know, that uh, infused milk that you have at the bottom of your cereal bowl. That mm-hmm. as the flavor base for the ice cream. 
And he found, uh, well, he was trying a shortcut method because the, uh, the, I'm blanking on the brand that he mentioned in it, uh, has their recipe out in the wild, but it's a lot more involved. It uh, requires, uh, gelatin that, uh, gelatin sheets to bloom. It has, uh, uh, a couple different corn syrup or sugar syrups that it thickens the ice cream with. And he mm-hmm. was trying one of his ice cream uh, recipes, only infusing it with Fruit Loops and taking a couple of other steps with it. And this is the same guy that does a lot of uh, sodas. So he's done a sweet potato soda. Uh, he's done a cucumber soda. He's uh, brewed root beer, as in steeped from root root beer. I may have to send you some of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and he's just this nice older gentleman. And at the end, he's on there with his, I think, wife. I'm pretty sure wife. Uh, talking about some of their adventures and uh, trying out. Also, he does a lot of vintage uh, Depression era cookbook food or cookbook recipes. Like, uh, one of the ones I randomly grabbed was a, uh, Canadian war cake that had no butter, no eggs, and it actually turned out alright. It's just the recipe was very vague because cookbooks in the early 20th century, outside of beginner's cookbooks, expected you to know a certain degree of cooking skill. So they wouldn't give you like little things like oven temperature or time. So they expect you, okay, here's your ingredient list. Here's the basics of up until the cooking portion or up until where we expect you to know what to do from here. Here's the ingredients list. Mix and bake. Well, all right. Actually, uh, some of the uh, recipes are practically that. (laughs) Well... I'm going to have to I mean, send you I'm some the, of the stuff. <laughs> you and I talking about, about cooking stuff on a fairly regular basis. I mean, yeah. I think like if we both sat down to cook the same dish, I, I'm i pretty sure you're a better or more skillful cook than I am. But I feel like I have a basic knowledge. Like I can cook anything <laughs> as long as I'm given like some instructions on things. Yeah, I'm more of a to, like, tinker recipe uh, guy. Yeah, when it comes to baking times though and temperatures and stuff, I'm I think I've got that pretty down. But I mean, I you know, I've been cooking for a long time. Mm-hmm. I just don't pursue it in the same sort of a hobby level that you do. Well, considering I just got the stuff to make cheese today. <laughs> yeah. Although that's something that I have done before. Well, I, I don't really have time, a choice but... uh, if I want good cheese because my like if I want Parmesan, uh, my choice at the local store is okay. Which can do I want? <laughs> or I go right. an hour for it. So you know, I guess uh, this t- has just become the food portion of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> well, also uh, I find interesting things that I like to try. <laughs> so, hmm. unless it pisses me off a lot less than gaming, unless uh, you know people start licking me pancake uh, videos with that guy again. 
But then I got my revenge. I got my revenge. <laughs> yeah, that guy's the worst. He's yeah, just but real bad. we want plates. That, I think that triggered Cube in, uh, in, <laughs> in a way that I didn't expect. I thought most of that was pretty funny, though, honestly. The we want plates stuff. Some of it was like, what? But most of it was just kind of funny. Yeah, it got Cube uh, riled up uh, more than I thought it would. I mean, I was expecting maybe a rouse, but he got angry. And then that amused me. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we had some community stuff after all. <laughs> I made Cube Woo. angry. Woo. I think. Um, Okie dokie. Uh, we only pick on Cube because we love him. What was it? There was one. Oh, I remember. We got sidetracked. I was going to go ahead and uh, just and say what next week's game is. I mean, you can go look at the pinned list. Uh, which so is we're skipping Def, uh, Defcon then and putting it back at the end of the list. I guess we can do that. Um, let me pull up the sheet. It's Warframe, isn't so, it? Or no, next week is or this coming week is uh, tabletop simulator. We're gonna do some co-op games. Still haven't uh, figured that one out. <laughs> yeah, this weekend we need to to chat Powell? about that a little bit. You know, have a choosing? Uh, possibly just Sunday night because we're. As far as I know, we moved Star Wars RPG Night to this Saturday, and then I've got to take Katie and I are going on a date one of the other nights between now and Sunday. We still have Friday night rooms, I hope. Yeah, I might be late, depending on what we do for date night. I mean, I'll let you and other people who come, like Ghost Shark, know ahead of time if I'm going to be late, but I mean, we'll still do Friday night rooms. But... Anyways, this coming Monday is Tabletop Simulator. We're going to focus on some co-op stuff. That way we don't run into issues we've had in the past where it's like, well, I've been knocked out in the early game and I'm not going to sit around for 40 minutes and just do nothing. I mean, to be fair, uh, King of Tokyo usually isn't that long. It's just that was, you know, kind of an outlier than, you know. Yeah. But but we'll see if we can find something a little bit better. So it's King of Tokyo does get old after a while. Indeed. Moving on, though, to where you should tell people where to go before I jump the gun on that. Well, if you wish to send us an email, you can do so at vglpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you wish to wake up the dead bird, you can tweet us vglpodcast on the Twitter. Twitter sucks now. Their new interface is hot garbage. It looks too much like the mobile app. Uh, to be honest, I haven't used the the Twitter interface in ages. I've just used TweetDeck. Yeah, I'm gravitating more towards TweetDeck all the time now. It the it looks like the like I just said the app, and I don't want that if I'm sitting. Oh, their at app PC. sucks. Yeah, uh, their app always says, "Hey, so and so just interacted you with the with you," and I uh, tap on the inter, uh, interaction, and it was. You sent me something four hours ago. <laughs> yeah. Oh, four hours. Wow, that was fast. I get notifications all the time from 14, 18, one day ago. No, no, no. Even better was it was one that I already responded to. <laughs> nice. Yeah, there is a reason why on mobile I've been using Twitter there. 
instead of the actual Twitter app. Because the Twitter app sucks. I don't mind the Twitter app too much for how little I use the app on my phone. But, yeah, the new site interface sucks. But, you announce the things. So now I can actually move on and say doobly-doo for a Discovery Q. And, of course, I have it mine open and one immediately. What you got? The Song of Seiya. A visual novel. Uh, this one, uh, I already looked it up since I had my Discovery Q open for a while. Uh, I looked it up on Visual Novel Database. Uh, a little bit more horror-themed. Uh, I will say that the Steam version appears to be censored. And the developer sells a uncensored patch for a few bucks. So that's a definite knock against it, in my opinion. But uh, supposedly very creepy, and they call it a horror romance visual novel, so take that for what you will. <laughs> There's a lot of meat, like the walls are meat, that guy's covers have turned into meat on his bed, those are skulls, I don't... Yeah, it's the gore type of horror, so... I don't like this, I don't like it one bit, it might be excellent. But not for me. If I remember correctly, it's read fairly decently on uh, Visual Novel Database. It's just, you know, different strokes, right? Indeed. You got something? Right. Uh, yeah, I got one. I was looking at, at yours. Let me... Oh, shit. <laughs> Knock things over on my desk. It's fine. No liquid went anywhere. We're, we're fine. Uh, everything's fine here. How are you? We're all fine here. Yep. <laughs> I will pick that up later uh so this is called dicey dungeon oh that just released uh a day or two ago didn't it yeah so this is a roguelike or uh, tags indie strategy roguelike card game rpg uh from the developer of and super hexagon yeah so you're some adventurers in like a D&D style thing that have been turned into dice. And then you have to go on an adventure utilizing your dice. It's got a very cute looking art style. I like the uh, that idea. Like, you have become dice. Now go on a RPG. Or have an RPG experience. But I have not seen or heard this game before this moment, but it looks really neat. Well, obviously I have because it's on my wish list. Indeed. It's and unlike you, online. not everything in the Steam library is, or Steam catalog is on my wish list. Only no, most of it. Got, I just got Song of Seiya. Uh, well, I have we'll Vicious Cycle. That. Vicious Cycle is an uncooperative multiplayer shooter in which mercenaries, mercenaries compete for loot against a terrifying monster. So, uh, sounds like the, uh, Left 4 Dead <laughs> model where only you're fighting off against one particular monster. It's interesting. The problem is, you know, this is a multiplayer shooter, so you're dealing with, yeah, potential 
population problems. This is developed by Rooster Teeth Games, though, so, you know, at least somewhat decent behind uh, things. I mean, they do have Ruby already uh, in the uh, in their catalog, so, you know, they do have a little bit of a pedigree. Yeah, interesting. I didn't know that they continued making games. Like, I know that I knew that they made Ruby. Uh, I mean, this definitely looks uh, almost uh, Overwatch-ish uh, in start style, huh? J- yeah. Just something about it, right? I guess it's the color palette. It looks interesting. Yeah, I haven't seen this before, and it's definitely interesting. And I like that they call it uncooperative <laughs> multiplayer shooter. So, you know, it sounds like there's a definite com- uh, 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 competitive a- aspect between uh, the players trying to get loot. It becomes a vicious cycle. I I wonder how much of the Rooster Teeth voice cast is in the game. Like, did they do all their own voice acting? Is it people we know and love? Is it because I mean, Rooster Teeth is a big company now. Mm-hmm. They've got several hundred employees. I mean, they're more than I don't even know what they would be at this point. A multimedia a? company? Oh, I thought. Um, I guess that would be uh, the best way to describe them. Because I mean, they they've they're developing games. They have multiple animation things that they do. Machinima, several animations that they create in-house. Mm-hmm. They make Ruby. They produce various live-action content. They made, um, what's it called? Day 5, which was like a six-part miniseries. Um, they probably make a lot of stuff that, that I don't even know about anymore just because I don't really follow them. Like I once did. So. Maybe it is full of people that... That I would know and love if I'd kept up with them over the years. Still, it looks neat. Um, I got one, though. Were you were you done? Yeah. I kind of just started talking. Okay. Uh, variables... Uh, this is a what was tower the defense. I don't know. This is a tower defense style game, but like the it's saying like the the big thing is uh, you get to make your own um sort of pathing and tower placement and everything based on uh, a path that is generated, and like that's the whole thing. Like you get to make sort of the levels based on a path that shows up on a grid. Which seems kind of neat. I know tower defense games have kind of done that before, but you still have to work within the limits, and it makes it sound like you could design the entire everything about the level as you play. Yeah, it looks like there's some sort of randomization on the actual loot as well. Yeah. Or or not loot, but towers that you get. I mean, that's very interesting. So So definitely playing with variables. This reminds me a little bit... Not uh, art style, but sort of the direction they're taking of trying to change up things of Revenge of the Titans, where uh, they threw a lot of uh, odd uh, design choices for a tower defense game into it uh, by Puppy Dog Studios, where you know, they were trying to make it so that it's not just amazing and that's it. I mean, this looks like something I'd be interested in. 
So something else I'd be interested in. Hey, I got another visual novel. What? Uh, nan nan or nin nin days. Uh, it's not nine nine because there's no e's, but a solemn main character and a clumsy female ninja living together in this romance adventure game set in Abkhazia. You'll laugh, you'll cry over the entertaining art style of a slightly erotic female ninja and the main character's cohabitation. <laughs> uh, I looked it up on the Visual Novel Database in the meantime, and it looks like it's rated somewhat well. I mean, it's not amazing, but it's you know, not trash either, so you know, it definitely has some potential. Uh, a very detailed art style on the uh, sprites for the visual novel portion of it. Uh, and, you know, uh, interesting uh, idea. It does have some sexual content. And hey, this time they do have the patch out for free. So there you go, right? Nice. Yeah, that sounds interesting. It, it, it's a very pretty looking visual novel, too. That's the thing. So I've maybe got one. I'm trying to figure out who. Okay, who makes this? Focus Home Interactive is the publisher. Uh, let me get a link. Let me. Ah, shit! I clicked off on the tab I was on. Okay, good. This is called Greedfall. All or one word. Um, it looks like it's a single player. RPG, um, it, that is it's got very some, interesting. It's got a mix of Eastern and Western RPG elements. Um, some interesting sort of um, what's the right time frame? Like the sort of British colonial era. Mm-hmm. Like there's muskets and some dress that makes it seem like this is in maybe the 17th, 18th century, like... Huh, it's just about the same developer that made Tecromancer. But there's magic, and... Well, well, Tecromancer... At first I thought this was an uh, MMO, but it looks like it's single player. Yeah, Tecromancer really mixed uh, tech and magic really well. I mean, overall, it did pretty middling in reviews, but it sounds like they fixed it later on. But not enough to bring their reviews up from mixed overall. Mm-hmm. So this looks like it's you know like a extension of the idea of uh, sci-fi fantasy almost. This looks neat. Yeah, I haven't played uh, Technomancer, but this looks a lot like it's starting off a lot better. Yeah, it releases in September. You can pre-purchase, which I would say don't do that. Um, I'm going to see if it's... Otherwise, you'll get a spanking. It's on Keymailer. Request a key. It's not. Okay. So, you got anything else to say about it? or? No, it just looks really neat. I I mean, unless this thing comes yeah, I mean, out and it's like a, a steaming hot pile of garbage, I might buy this. Yeah, it does have a definite uh, MMO feel about it. But then again, that's sort of how uh, third-person uh, ARPG has kind of progressed at this point. That's not yeah. you know, Diablo uh, style. I do like, though, the offline MMO sort of feel. As long as it like you know, has a lot more of a story than most of the offline MMOs. Yeah. So, I got one. Gibberus 
a Cthulhu adventure. Crazy cultist Cthulhu, a talking cat. Gibberus uh, takes you on an expansive, traditionally animated, hand-painted adventure. So, point-and-click uh, adventure game with a lot of old Telltale feel about it. I mean, take a look at this. This looks like Adventure on Monkey Island, only hand-painted. This is like uh, Adventure on Monkey Island uh, and uh, Cuphead got locked in a room together. And I, I really dig this art style. Waiting for you to uh, click on it to see. <laughs> I mean, that looks... What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Interesting. I mean, that's one very angry cat. <laughs> but is it a cool cat? Oh, it's an angry cat. It's it's grumpy cat uh, reincarnated. Oh snap! Uh, trying to think. There was another uh, uh, point and click adventure that I played actually on my channel. This feels a lot like uh, Dogman Sia and Pizza Boy. It, it's uh, based off of a comic series. This has sort of that you know kind of goofy feel about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm definitely. Uh, I'm. I'm in on this. I like this. Uh, as long as it's say. complete. I mean, uh, yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, you know, if they are setting up for a series, you know, then that's going to be a little bit tougher. But uh, stuck in a stuck in attic. Looks like this is their only game so far. So yeah. Just see how that turns out. Oh, I just got variables. Uh, you I got, got one? Yeah, I got one. Uh, Eliza, I think you sent me yeah, I've told an you article about, this. about and this. And that just came up in my uh, queue as well. Yeah, so Eliza is a visual novel about an AI counseling program. And the yeah, this is from Zatronics. Use it. Um, I, this is fascinating. To me, right up my alley, obviously. I think everyone listening to this podcast knows that I am a therapist, so I am... Yeah, that's therapist, not the rapist. Yes. Indeed. So I would enjoy playing this and then sort of critiquing it, like how well does it do portraying therapy, psychology, etc. So... It's fifteen bucks. I mean, Psychotronics is it. typically pretty good on the quality. Yeah, I'm tempted to buy it right now. I'll, I'll think about it. I might see if I could get a key on Key Mailer or something beforehand. But I'm very tempted to just buy it. It's on Key Mailer, so I'll request a key, and then if I don't get a key, I'll buy it. All right. Uh, let's see, I got Asbolov, uh, End of Gods, since I had to skip a few of mine that you already taken. Uh, in the future, Vi- uh, Viking horror, you awake in a sanctuary of steel and concrete, built to research and exploit the worlds of Yazgaroth, and house an artifact buried in the earth aeons ago. So, 
action horror. It, it, it doesn't look like it's the gross out, you know, uh, blood and guts horror. It looks like, you know, a few demons here and there, and that's about it. But more action oriented and possibly some more psychological uh, than typical horror. So it looks interesting. See, uh, it's a experience, uh, horror experience focused on narrative and stealth, according to one reviewer. So it's a more narrative survival horror game, which sounds good. But there are some places that, you know, uh, it sounds like it's not quite as polished as it could be. It's from Angry Demon Studio, which, uh, has done a lot of games that I haven't heard of. <laughs> So there is that, but they are an established studio at least, and looks like they eh, they hold about in the 80-90% range on their game, so yeah, fairly decent. I would say overall worth a look at least. Alright, this is the last game on my list. I honestly am not sure what I'm looking at. And I don't know if I like it or not, but I have to talk about it. Rabbit burn. Just let me let me. Uh, oh, those are tits. Read this. Let me just read this to you. Fabulous riches, flying fists, and sensual embraces around in this dazzling arena where rabbit men and bunny girls sprint to and fro, dodging explosions, brawling, making love, or just rocking out. It's the crazy, depraved billiards game, Rabbit Burn. I don't know what this is. I think I like it, but I'm not sure because well, I don't know well, what the tits it is. Are out, so, yeah, of course you like it. The breasts are exposed for our pleasure. Well, as long as you like them uh, rock hard and unmoving. Well, you know. It's me we're talking about. I'm honestly not too picky about that sort of thing. Boobs are boobs. Okay, here's, here's the top review. How to describe this game. You have a billiard yard with a colored demonic rabbits getting chased by horny anime chicks while you get slapped around by other rabbits. There's a gallery that opens up each time you unlock a girl. The game is technically censored by the developers since they do not offer regional discrepancy. Uncensored patch. And there's a link to the uncensored patch. <laughs> the game is... The next review. The game is designed to be played with mouse only. You can do whatever you want with your other hand. So there we go. So I got at least one more. I still have two more remaining in my queue. Okay. Indivisible. This is from the same developer that made Skullgirls. Indivisible is a hand-drawn action RPG platformer from Lab Zero, creators of the critically acclaimed Skullgirls. Set in a huge fantasy world, Indivisible tells the story of Anisha, a fearless girl with a rebellious streak who sets out on a quest to save everything she knows from being destroyed. Uh, looks like uh, some heavy uh, visual novel uh, uh, ideas on the cutscenes. Mixed with some platformers, uh, platforming, uh, a little bit of Easter eggs. I mean, I see a waiting companion cube right there, so you know, there is that, right? Indeed. Overall, it looks interesting. Uh, very clean art style. I mean, it's not amazing, but it, you know, it looks colorful. 
And I mean, it's from the Skullgirls developers, and that was a pretty good game overall. It's releasing in October, so still a ways off. So no reviews, not sure what's up with it just yet. But they are calling it a Metroidvania, so, you know, that looks like uh, potentially a lot of backtracking and a lot of exploration based on unlockable powers, if, if that holds true. So, very interesting. Speaking of very interesting, that is damn interesting. I need to link that. Okay, how about a, a really weird one, alright? Okay. Stone Story RPG. I want you to look at this before I mention anything. Okay. Oh, that's neat. This is I don't think all I'd like it, asking. But it's neat. Uh, this is a graphic. Uh, uh, all the graphics are entirely in ASCII symbols. Journey through a cursed land to unite non-magical uh, soul stones and restore the light. So. Uh, an ARPG, technically. <clears throat> uh, only everything is built through ASCII, so it looks like it could be developed back in the 80s. Some of it is a lot more rough than others, like your character is like a stick figure, but then the world looks a lot more detailed. I mean, it's it's a really neat art style. I've seen this ha uh, worked on a couple times, or, or this art style, but it just fascinates me every time because that is a lot of extra effort to go into that sort of thing. So yeah, uh, impressive. Not sure how well it plays, but yeah, right. I, I think it's definitely you know if it's for you, you uh, will jump all over. If not, then. Eh. Let's see, my last one. Ha. Huh. Okay, I'll add this to the uh, list as well. This. Hang on, just about this. Uh, looks like it's in the publisher. Yeah. Okay, this is another take on Rocket League. It seems like we're getting in the development cycle where uh, games that were. Uh, workshopped when Rocket League was starting to really take off is coming out a lot more. Oh, I've seen this. This is Steel it's been Circus. On the Steam, <coughs> Steam front page for a couple yeah, of days, uh, I, I think. Oh, I thought I grabbed a uh, the name, but Steel Circus. Essentially, Dota meets Rocket League with different heroes uh, controlled in uh, <coughs> uh, the a Dota sort of uh, perspective, you know, uh, sort of, uh, 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 trying to think, of, not isometric, but, you know, proper ARPG or Dota style, you know, far off, clicking, uh, move around. It's free to play with a all champions pack for 20 bucks. I mean, definitely worth looking at at least. Uh, let's see. Looks like uh, it does have a problem with people dumping out of the game if they're losing. So, yeah, Rocket League problems, right? Yeah. And also it looks like there may be some matchmaking issues. Uh, this looks like it's the, the developer's first time around, so yeah, that is a little bit concerning. 
But hey, uh, yeah, it's interesting to start seeing a lot more takes on Rocket League because we've seen this, we've seen the roller derby one from Ubisoft. Yeah, you know, we're starting to see more and more Rocket League esque games coming out, which yeah, you know, more competition, right? Indeed. Because I think, uh, you know, I know that Rocket League still has a pretty big player base, but at the same time, you know, having some sort of variance on the formula or seeing other developers taking the idea and running with it uh, to try to iterate and bring some more variety to the, uh, what would you call it even, uh, action sports or uh, genre? Sports fantasy genre? Uh, fantasy sports? Possibly. Uh, seeing you know, more options in that little sub area is uh, you know, always great to see. So it doesn't have to take away from Rocket League. And this looks odd. You know, it, it looks different, I should say. And it looks like it has a lot more than just being Rocket League, only you're playing an ARPG styling with heroes. So if it offers something different and it's able to actually get a player base, which eh, is a little bit concerning, then it's definitely worth checking out at least. And hey, it's free to play. Mm-hmm. And that is the end of my queue. Cool. So, count, uh, not counting the, what, like two or three you took from me? <laughs> well, that's just payback. Because you've done that to me before. Yeah, and last so, week we yeah. inadvertently both took the same one. Which was kind of funny, huh? Yeah. So I got five. That's pretty good for me. Yeah, I got about my bulk standard. <laughs> All right. Well, with that over, it's time for me to say, hey, Rage, hit it with the socials. Well, I've been Caffeine Rage. You can find me on the YouTubes, Gaming with Caffeine Rage. You can find me on Twitter, occasionally, Gaming with CR. Uh, you can find me on Twitch, rarely, uh, Caffeine underscore Rage. And you can find me on Steam, always, Caffeine Rage. And you've been... Gaming Psychologist. You can find me on the YouTubes by searching for Gaming Psychologist. On Twitter, at JMA4707. And if you want to be my friend on Steam, you can do so by sending a request, friend request, to JRthur4707. And if you will shalom know exactly what episode of the podcast you're coming from, the password for this week is Fiddle Faddle. Fiddle like Faddle. Fiddle Faddle. I haven't had Fiddle Faddle in a long time because, you know, diabetes. But it's good. <laughs> Well, I was going more for the term of just, you know, nonsense, but sure. Yeah, you got the diabetes, so. Yep. And something else we've got is, once again, our email address. <laughs> Boy, that's a terrible transition, but let's go with it. Uh, Podcast at gmail.com with your alerts, voicemails, and gaming-related topics, or just tweet them to us, Podcast. And a big shout out to our lovely, lovely patrons. Even if we did uh, Angry Cube this week, <laughs> uh, patreon.com slash VGL podcast for more details. And our lovely patrons have made our Podbean page possible. VGLpodcast.podbean.com, which hosts the show notes, the RSS feed, 
links to all our content online, or you can just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or your podcatcher of choice. Our intro and outro music is On the Ground by Kim McCloyd and Dibbly Doo. Our discovery key music is by the same artist. You can find his work at incomputech.com and... As always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice. Bye-bye now. See you next time. Bye-bye.